Let's turn in our Bibles tonight, if you would, to Psalm 137. Psalm 137, as we continue our study in the book of Psalms, we come now to this distinctive psalm, well known for its sad and plaintive language. This psalm is unique because it is a sorrowful song. So many of the psalms, especially the psalms that surround Psalm 137, are jubilant and full of praise for God. But Psalm 137 is a psalm of weeping. It's a psalm of the broken heart. And though this particular psalm doesn't sound much like praise and victory, yet there is much for us to learn here. It's thought that the human author of Psalm 137 may have been one of the Levites who sang in the temple and now could not because he had been taken into captivity and the temple had been destroyed. He's looking back on his experience in the temple of God and looking now at his present circumstances and lamenting the sorrow that has come upon him. This psalm, as you'll see as we read it in just a few moments here, is a reminder that God cares about the emotions of our heart. And you and I should not always expect everything to be positive in our lives. There are times, seasons of heavy burdens and difficulties that we bear. In this case, the burdens that are being borne are because of sin and because of the judgment of God that has come upon the people of God. I've titled the message tonight, Weeping in Babylon. And I want you to look at verse number 1, Psalm 137. The scripture says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that had carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed... Happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. A very unusual psalm in the spectrum of the psalms that we have studied. And indeed, even the ending of this psalm, which we'll get to in a while, is quite unusual. But it's a reminder to us that God understands the broad spectrum of the human heart. And in all seasons of life, it is, it is important for us to bring our prayer to the Lord. This particular psalm is one of instruction and helps us as we think about those who were weeping in Babylon. In the first four verses, we find the psalmist describing the sadness of the chastised people. He's describing the children of Israel who've been taken away into captivity into Babylon. Of course, we know from biblical history, that Nebuchadnezzar invaded Jerusalem and the surrounding area of Judea 
in 586 B.C. He carried away the people captive, and there they destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They tore down the temple, and they carried away all of the significant people out of the land, took them and scattered them throughout the kingdom. Here the psalmist describes himself as sitting by the rivers of Babylon. There, by the rivers of Babylon, of course, there are some majestic rivers there by the city of Babylon. And in that time, Babylon was very prosperous. They had learned, for instance, how to harness the power of the river by digging canals and drawing the water from the river down into the lowlands where they could plant and where the the crops would be plentiful because of the irrigation system that they devised. This was the area where many of the Jews were taken to and where they lived. And as they sat there by the rivers, the, the, the psalmist describes himself as sitting there and weeping, not just himself, but all those who were with him. He describes themselves as sitting there by the rivers and, and weeping about their circumstances. And if you think about it, what he's describing is They are surrounded by prosperity. They are surrounded by all kinds of rich and good things, by the the wealth of Babylon, by by all of the, uh, the good things that are coming from the crops that are grown. And yet, because it's not their home, and because of the way that they were taken to that place, they sat by the rivers of Babylon and they wept. The reason that the children of Israel were in Babylon was because of the judgment of God. And now all that the Levites and those who are the children of God can think about is if we had only listened to God. Can you imagine as they thought about the prophets who had come, Isaiah and Jeremiah and the others who had come proclaiming that judgment was coming and that the people needed to repent, and as they're sitting by the rivers of Babylon, how they must have replayed in their minds the messages that they had heard And the time of regret, as they thought about, here we are by the rivers of Babylon, and we didn't listen to the warning of God. They were there because of the judgment of God, and all that they could think about as they sat by the rivers was that they were under God's chastising hand. Everything in their life was sorrow and pain, and they wept. The word wept means that they... They were crying uncontrollably. This is not shedding some shallow tears or a trickle down your cheek. This is the kind of weeping that goes on uh, in deep mourning, seasons of deep, deep sorrow. And he says, here we are sitting by the rivers of Babylon, and we wept when we remembered Zion. You see, as they looked around there by the rivers of Babylon, they recognized that Babylon was not their home. They thought back to Zion, and of course Zion is the mountain that represents the city of Jerusalem. And as they thought back to Zion, all they could think about was what they had lost because of the sin that they had committed. Because they had refused to listen to the voice of God, they had lost everything. You do know tonight that when you go in rebellion against what God has said, you can lose everything. You can lose everything to the extent that you can come to a place where you realize there's no regaining what was lost. There's no bringing it back. And that is a place of great sorrow. 
That's a place of great regret. And that's what the psalmist is describing here. It's a place of sorrow because it's a place of regret. God had warned them. And now all that they had left was the memory of the blessing of God. They no longer were experiencing God's hand of blessing upon them. The psalmist says, as they sat there by the rivers of Zion, or of Babylon, and they thought about Zion, they wept. And he says in verse 2, we hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. It's poetic language. We know what a willow tree looks like. It's kind of sad looking, just as a tree. You look at that willow with its low-hanging branches. Usually they're located right next to a river or a pond. And he said, we took our harps, our instruments that we used for singing and for rejoicing in the, in the house of God, and we took our harps and we just hung them there on the willows and we left them there. And the implication is we had nothing left to sing about. We had nothing left to rejoice in. They hung their harps on the branches and they found no occasion for song anymore. You know, it's a sad time in your life when you have such regret about decisions that you've made that there's no song in your heart. There's no spring of of joy in your step. There's no anticipation of what is in the future because you realize that you've traded that for a moment of sin and you've lost something that you'll never regain. The psalmist is describing the deep sorrow of the people of God And in the midst of this, to add insult to injury, to heap trouble upon the pain that they've already had, in verse 3, for there they that that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Here they are in this place of sorrow and regret, looking at the decisions that they've made and wishing that they had done things differently. And then on top of everything, the enemy is mocking them. The enemy is coming by and saying, come on, you people are so sad. We know that you used to sing happy songs when you lived in Zion. Come on, bring out some of your music. Show us what it's like to rejoice. We want to hear your songs. The Babylonians were the people ordained by God to bring judgment. But the Babylonians had gone too far. And they had become a very cruel people to the people of God. They had misused and mistreated the people of God. In fact, God promised the Babylonians that they would face judgment because of the way that they treated the children of Israel, even though God ordained them as the ones who would judge the nation of Israel. They went beyond and they mistreated the people of God. The day was coming when Babylon would also be judged. But now these oppressors, these who have heaped their cruel mocking upon the children of Israel, are mocking the people of God again. They're requiring of them a joyful song of Zion. Come on, be happy. Rejoice. We want to hear a happy song. But there's nothing to be happy about. There's nothing to rejoice in. Because at this point, all that the psalmist can see is the darkness and the blackness of God's chastisement. You do know that when you are being chastised by God, it's a very troubling time in your life. 
And oftentimes the child of God will feel that they are in utter darkness, that they are estranged from God. Now we know that the children of Israel are still the people of God. We know that God is going to restore them to the land. But at this moment, all they can sense is regret, sorrow, confusion, and absolutely no joy. In fact, the psalmist makes this statement in verse 4, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How are we going to sing the songs of Zion here in this place? In the psalmist's mind, the songs of the Lord would sound so out of place in this strange land that they're living in. It wouldn't seem to fit. It's like, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, it's like being in a crowd of people who are unregenerate. And there's maybe some entertainment going on somewhere. And all of a sudden, the entertainment that has been up till that point providing rock and roll music says, we're going to sing Amazing Grace. And you think, that doesn't fit. That, that doesn't go together. There's something that's out of place and disjointed about that. I mean, I know that Elvis Presley sang gospel songs, but it seems like it didn't fit in his life and in his lips. He was an ungodly and wicked man. Those songs had no meaning to him. They were strange. In like manner, the psalmist says, it doesn't seem right that we would sing the Lord's songs here in this strange place. In this place of judgment, in this place where God has heaped His, His chastisement upon us, there's just no way that we can sing with our hearts broken at this time. There's no way that we can express joy at this time. They're sad, and they're sad because of the chastisement of the Lord. But then notice with me in verse 5, the longing of the chastised people. Now the psalmist says this to the Lord, If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. You say, what is he talking about? Well, he's expressing this, and bear in mind, the psalmist is obviously a musician. He's obviously someone who is skilled to play an instrument with his right hand. And he says, if, if I forget Jerusalem, then I might as well not be able to play the instrument at all with my right hand. If I forget what God did for us in the past and the blessings of God there in the city of Jerusalem, then my tongue might as well stick to the roof of my mouth. I, I have nothing to sing about if I forget the blessings of God. Do you hear what he's saying? The longing of the psalmist is this. He's longing for restoration of the place of blessing. He's longing to come back to the place where he can realize and recognize that God is still good to him. And he's speaking about Jerusalem. He says, I cannot forget Jerusalem. To forget the word that is used in verse 5 means to be oblivious or to ignore. It has this idea where you cease to care. You get to the place where you just say, I couldn't care less. It doesn't matter to me. 
And the psalmist is saying this, if I get to the place where I cease to care about Jerusalem, then I hope that my hand will never work again to play an instrument. What the psalmist is expressing is this, he firmly believes that his musical talent and ability has been given to him to express praise and worship to God. And he doesn't want to be using his talents for any other purpose. And he says, I, if I forget Jerusalem, then I might as well just forget how to play my instrument altogether. You know, sometimes in a place of great sorrow, in a place or a time when you're being chastised by God, it's tempting to get to the place where you just don't care anymore. Where you just throw your hands up and say, it doesn't matter, I'm just, forget it. There's no way that I could get back to the Lord. That's an awful place to be. When someone gets to that place, a, a true believer, they're in a place of great despair and great sorrow. And the psalmist says, I don't ever want to forget what God did for us. Here they are in a far-off land, hundreds of miles away from the city of Jerusalem, knowing that likely they will never return to the city of Jerusalem. But he says this, I don't want to forget the place where I came from. Now, I think we understand a little bit of the sentiment of the psalmist as he's looking with longing back, maybe with a little bit of nostalgia to the place where he came from and thinking, I don't want to forget what that was like. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it than just, I don't want to forget the place where I came from. What he's talking about when he speaks about Jerusalem is the whole package of all that God provided in Jerusalem. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. I want to make an application here to you and I in this day and age in which we live. In like manner, as it would have been wrong for the psalmist to forget Jerusalem and where God had brought them from, In like manner, it's wrong for the people of God here, right now, to forget the city where God is taking us to. It's wrong for us to forget about the city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. It's wrong for us to forget about the fact that we're just passing through this place. We're we're pilgrims on a journey. We're not to put down roots here. This is not where we belong. And if we forget, if we cease to care about where God is taking us, what despair could come to our life? In verse 6, he says, If I do not remember thee, speaking about Jerusalem, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. He says there's no song without Jerusalem. He he wished that if he was going to forget Jerusalem, he would just no longer be able to play his instrument. He says, there's no song for me to sing without Jerusalem. If the psalmist were to forget Jerusalem, there would be nothing to sing about and nothing to praise God for. Nothing at all. The psalmist confessed in this verse that Jerusalem is his greatest joy, and he wanted it to always remain so. As long as he had a memory of Jerusalem, he had something that he could sing about. But if he forgot, if he ceased to care, if he stopped remembering where God brought him from, he would no longer have anything to sing about. There's something there for us. You know, as children of God, 
who have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven for you and I, we have something to, think, to, to sing about, don't we? We have, we have some, some real treasure to be happy about. We have something that can bring us great joy. But if we cease to care about the true riches, if we get our focus off of the, the, the real, the, the reality of life and what God has declared is true and right and real, then we won't have anything to sing about. We won't have any song in our heart. We certainly won't have any reason to praise the Lord. Now, for the psalmist, we could ask the question tonight, what did Jerusalem represent? Why was it? I mean, was he just singing ballads about the walls of Jerusalem and he liked the markets and he, he, his favorite restaurant was there and, and the place where he liked to sit and look out over the city? I mean, is that what he was talking about? No. See, to the psalmist, Jerusalem means the peace of Jehovah, the peace of God. And, and to the psalmist, the city of Jerusalem represented everything that he believed about Jehovah. It represented, for instance, the presence of Jehovah because it was in Jerusalem where the temple had been built. It was in Jerusalem where the presence of God had been manifested. If indeed this is written by a Levite who sang to God in the temple... He had seen the presence of God. He knew that God had manifested His presence there. And when he talked about Jerusalem, he's talking about the place where God showed Himself, where God revealed Himself. I'm going to come back to this in a minute. Not only the presence of Jehovah, but Jerusalem represented to this Levite the promises of Jehovah. Because all the promises that Jehovah had made to the nation of Israel are surrounding the city of Jerusalem. It's here. God, this is the city of David. This is the place where God says the Messiah is going to come. This is the place where the Messiah is going to reign from. All of these promises. This is the capital of the land that God has promised to the nation of Israel. And you must understand that at this point, sitting in Babylon, far away from the land and far away from the city of Jerusalem and the temple torn down, the Levites must have been tempted to think, well, the promises of God will no longer be true. But see, he didn't want to cease to care about the promises of God. He didn't want to stop remembering what God had guaranteed he was going to do because Jerusalem to him represented the promises of God. But then also Jerusalem represented the praise of Jehovah. You see, it was in Jerusalem, that was the place where the praise of Jehovah was centered. That's where the sacrifices were to be brought to. That's where the Levite choirs would sing. They would lift their voices and play their instruments and they would worship Jehovah there in that place. And the psalmist writes and he remembers what it was to praise Jehovah. And here he is in this strange place. And he says, I don't want to forget what it was like when I praised Jehovah there in that place. Now think about it for just a moment tonight. Think about how precious the presence of Jehovah is. And what happens to us as children of God if we cease to care about the presence of God? If to us it's sufficient to just attend the services, to, to make sure we're there whenever the doors are open, praise the Lord, I'm serving God, but we cease to care about the presence of God. We cease to care about God being in our life. 
leading us, being real to us, what's going to happen to us? Well, it would be better. It would be better if we would just forget all the songs. If we would just not try to put on some kind of airs or pretend as if we're worshiping God, if we've forgotten the presence of Jehovah. What happens to us if we forget the promises of Jehovah? In those times of despair, in the times of difficulty, in the times when we're bearing burdens, if we get our eyes off of the promises of God and we put our eyes on the circumstances and we get all mired down in the things that are happening to us, what is going to happen? Well, you lose sight of the promises of God and you're not going to have much to sing about. You're not going to have much to express as praise to God because, brethren, I'm telling you the promises of God are an anchor to our soul. In the darkest day, the promises of God can give us light. But you cease to care about the promises of God and you've switched off the light. You've cut yourself off from the only hope that God is extending to you in those seasons of difficulty and sorrow. Don't stop caring about the promises of God. What if we stop caring about the praise of Jehovah? What if we, instead of praising Jehovah, just fall into the kind of praise that the world is giving? The world is giving all kinds of praise, aren't they? What kind of praise are they giving? Well, they're praising the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I mean, listen to secular music and just... Pay attention to what is going on. It's all a glorification of this present evil world. It's all an exaltation of seek after the flesh and make yourself happy and go crazy for the things of this world. That's going to make you so happy. Why do they sing like that? Because they have nothing else to sing about. They don't know God. They don't don't have a relationship with God. They're not right with God. If we forget the praise of Jehovah, if we forget, I mean, so many of you, especially so many of our young people, have musical talents, abilities that God has given to you. What a tragedy it would be if you took those musical talents and instead of using them to praise God, you took them for yourself and began to use them to create a following after yourself and you walked away from the praise of Jehovah. You see, the psalmist says, if I forgot, I would rather that my hand forgot how to play the instrument. I I would rather that my tongue dried out and stuck to the roof of my mouth so that I couldn't sing anymore because I don't want to sing anything other than the praise of Jehovah. Do you see what he's saying? Now, what is ironic about verse 5 and 6 is that the nation of Israel had forgotten. That's why they're in Babylon. They had forgotten the presence of Jehovah and the promises of Jehovah and the praise of Jehovah. And they had walked away from Jehovah and he had tried to get their attention over and over and over again and they refused his warnings and then God judged them and took them into captivity. And what the psalmist is saying is this, we forgot before and we don't ever want to forget again. We don't ever want to forget who Jehovah is and what he has done for us. 
you do realize that one of the reasons God had brought them to Babylon was because Babylon was a place of great idolatry. They had become idolaters in the city of God. And God said, you want idols? I'll give you all the idols that you can stomach. He had sent them to the place of idolatry so that they would become sick of idolatry and never return to it again. Which is exactly what happened. The Israelite people were broken of their idolatry. When they were sent into captivity, they didn't want those things ever again. God was trying to bring them back to Himself, which incidentally is always the purpose of chastisement. But here we see the psalmist expressing the longing of God's people who are chastised. He wants to be brought back to the place of blessing. He wants to be brought back to the place where he can remember the goodness of God. So we see the sadness of this chastised people, the longing of this chastised people, but then notice with me, Quickly, the prayer of this chastised people in verses 7 through 9. This is a difficult prayer. In verse 7, the psalmist cries out to the Lord and says, Lord, remember the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem. Why does he want the Lord, Jehovah, to remember the children of Edom? Well, because Edom had cried out when... Israel was being invaded, and when Jerusalem was being destroyed, Edom sat around on the perimeter and said, tear it down, scrape it flat, tear it down all the way to the foundation, get rid of those lousy people and get them out of here. And here's what the psalmist is saying, God, remember what they said, and remember what they did. And the the implication is, remember in order to bring vengeance. Remember in order to pay them back for what they have done. Now, I realize imprecatory prayers are not usually prayers that we pray. But the psalmist is clearly praying for God to take vengeance on the nation of Edom. Now, what's significant about Edom is Edom was the descendants of Esau. And there was long controversy between Jacob and Esau and their descendants and The Edomites were some of the greatest enemies that Israel had in their long history. And now they're looking and they're saying, look, Edom, who is supposed to be our brother, they're supposed to to care about us, but here they are cheering our destruction. God, you saw it. You hold them accountable. You judge them. So there's a prayer against Edom. There is also a prayer against Babylon. Those who had come to take them into captivity. And the psalmist prays, O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. Strong words and hard to understand. What is the psalmist saying? Well, he's praying for vengeance to come upon Babylon. The city of Babylon and her armies and her kings had come against Judah and Jerusalem with great cruelty, and they had poured out their wrathful indignation upon the people of God. As I already mentioned, Babylon had gone beyond what God had asked them to do, and they had 
they had transgressed against the law of God and the way that they dealt with the children of Judah. What is being described here in verse 9 about the little ones is exactly what Babylon had done to the children of Judah. Babylon had come in with great cruelty and they had tried to wipe out the next generation by taking their vengeance upon the children of Judah. And you say, I don't think that people should pray like that. Well, you probably haven't sat and watched someone do this to your children. And this is why they're praying in this way. And they're saying, God, you're a God who is righteous. You're a God who is just. And you saw the way that we, are, that we were treated. And they are praying that God would also bring vengeance upon the city of Babylon and upon her inhabitants. There's a prophecy in this prayer. The prophecy is that Babylon, which was great now at the writing of this psalm, Babylon was the greatest kingdom of the world. And no one could imagine that Babylon would be taken down. But the psalmist is predicting that the day was coming when Babylon would no longer exist. The the psalmist is saying the time is, is coming when another one will come in and Babylon will be destroyed. And the nation that destroys Babylon will be happy. They'll be happy just like Babylon was happy when they came into Jerusalem and wreaked havoc upon our city. Now again, it's a difficult prayer for us to understand. But what the psalmist is speaking about is the justice and the righteousness of Jehovah. This is not the psalmist taking individual vengeance upon another person who has wronged them Rather, this is a nation that is going to be judged for their sins against another nation. And the one who will be judging them is Jehovah himself. And what we are reminded of in Psalm 137 is that Jehovah, the great I am, the judge of the earth who does not answer to anyone, says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. I'm telling you, brethren... There are extremely wicked things that are going on in our world today. And sometimes we feel helpless to be able to stop those things or to be defenders of those who are being wronged. But you mark my words, there is a God in heaven who will hold responsible those who are doing wicked things. You would not want to be in their shoes when they stand before the God of all the earth. Because he is a God of justice. The psalmist knows this. He's crying out to God for justice, for righteousness. He's expecting and asking for God's hand of judgment to be upon Babylon for the cruel way that they've treated the people of God. And what a strange way for a psalm to end. Verse 9. With such strong words and such a desire for God to take vengeance. Because Psalm 137 is not a psalm of rejoicing. It's not a psalm of happiness. It's not a psalm that resolves within the psalm to a place of rejoicing in God. It's very unusual because most psalms have a moment of tension where the psalmist's heart is expressed... And then a resolution as the psalmist comes to the place of understanding who Jehovah is and realizes that Jehovah ought to be praised. We don't really find that in Psalm 137. 
It's a psalm of sorrow and a psalm of lament. And I want to point out to you that there is a proper place for lament. There is a proper place for weeping. There is a proper place for grief. And these kinds of psalms show us that grief has a proper place in our life. When someone is grieving, how do we respond? We want to cheer them up. Tell them a joke. Make them feel happy again. Hey, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. But when someone is in the depths of grief and sorrow, the last thing that they want to hear somebody say is, sing me a happy song. Come on, cheer up. Everything's fine. The truth is, in the season of grief, there's a time for weeping. And there's a time for laughter. We're very unwise not to give people space to express their grief when they are in a season of lament. Don't worry, your time will come. The time will come when you need to express some sorrow and lament. It would do us good as the people of God to read these psalms of lament and contemplate the depths of sorrow that the human heart can experience and then be reminded that our Savior, Jehovah Himself, is a man of sorrows who has been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He has experienced our grief. You see, what we know that this psalmist maybe did not understand fully because of his perspective, but what we know is that no matter what sorrow you and I may face, no matter what hurt we may endure, no matter what grief we may bear, we have a Savior who is touched with the feeling of those infirmities. And because of that, we have strong consolation in the time of sorrow. We have a refuge that we can go to. You know, the truth is, you may be bearing some sorrows tonight, but there is a reason for hope. And I, I hope tonight, and I want to go back to what Jerusalem represented for this psalmist, and I want to remind you that our hope centers around Jehovah. In the psalmist's case, his hope centered around Jerusalem because Jerusalem represented Jehovah. And for us, in the time of grief and sorrow, in the time when we're bearing burdens, let us be reminded of the presence of Jehovah. You know, the truth is, Jehovah is not limited to Jerusalem. Praise God for that. In fact, as New Testament believers, we have a wonderful promise from Jehovah who has said to us, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. In the darkest day, in the deepest valley, he has promised that he will walk with us, that he will be near us. In fact, that he is in us. So praise God for the presence of Jehovah. But also tonight, don't forget about the promises of Jehovah. You see, the promises of Jehovah are not bound by the city of Jerusalem. God is a strong God. When he makes promises... He's going to keep them. You can be sure that he's going to keep his word. 
And in your time of sorrow and in the, in the dark season of your life, maybe even in the time of chastisement when you recognize that you've lost something because of your own sin and because of God's judgment in your life, you can cling to the promises of God that He is a merciful God, that He is a restoring God, that He is a God who can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Praise God for His mercy and for His promises which are abundant to us. But not only the presence of Jehovah and the promises of Jehovah, let us never forget the praise of Jehovah. Because even in the times of deepest sorrow, even in the darkest valley, we can always find a reason to praise Jehovah. Now, your heart may not feel much like it. You you may not have a very cheerful voice, but I guarantee you that even in that season, you can find a reason to praise Him because He is a God who is always good. What does not come out in this psalm, it comes out in other places, is that even in Babylon, God was good to His people. Even in Babylon, even in captivity, God was good to preserve His people, to care for them, even to bring some of them to great positions of power and authority where they could wield influence for the benefit of the other people of God. And all of this is because Jehovah is watching out for His people. And there's reason to praise Him, even in that dark place. Certainly, you and I can sing the joyful songs of Zion here in this world in which we live. Because our God is ever with us. You and I are headed for a city whose builder and maker is God. But even here, you and I can rejoice that He has made His dwelling with us. That He is a God that we can praise. So tonight, don't sit by the rivers of Babylon and weep. We have a reason to rejoice. We have a reason to take our harps off the willow tune our instruments and to sing a praise, a song of worship to a God who certainly deserves all the praise and all the worship that we can muster.